0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Okay, there was about a one second pause. Well, maybe more of a half a second pause. Let the record show hide.
1: What record are we going to show hide?
0: Oh, dude. Um, I hope I'm... I actually did get a record recently. It's actually a two record set. It was uh, Goodbye My 4-Track by Logan Whitehurst in the Junior Science Club, one of my favorite Mm. albums, and it's actually a two-record set because the original CD had 21 tracks, and they couldn't fit that all in one disc, so they made it into two records, and they sped it up to 45 RPM so you get good playback. I haven't listened to it yet, but I can't wait. Um, And it's colored vinyl. I am a slut for colored vinyl.
1: Forgive me if I've never heard of that group. Oh, you will hear of it before long.
0: Uh-huh. They're okay. not making any new albums because Logan Whitehurst died about 12 years ago.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, Wasn't even 30. Said.
0: Oh, wow. Really? It's down Night, an uh, episode 89 of Pie Factory Podcast, starring his truly... Jimmy G. Ah. Jimmy G. Jimmy G. You know it. Yeah, I, I know it. You'll be a lumpy. But who says that they know it? I arched um, my eyebrows toward the imaginary audience just to demonstrate what I meant. Uh-huh. And
1: that works really good in audio. It does. Yeah. It really does. So what have you been up to? I've been up to wondering who's that on the other end of the recording session because I don't think that person introduced themselves. Themselves? That, what
0: that what them you call yourself a grammar Nazi and you say themselves. Them oh, yeah. oh, I I'm a grammar Nazi.
1: I am a grammar Nazi. I just don't give a sh- uh, uh, two, sh- two shakes anymore. Two sh- oh, man. I want two shakes now. A couple of vanilla shakes. Give me two shakes.
0: shakes mm. Give me two yeah. shakes, baby. Oh, I might as well introduce myself. Yes. I guess. Uh, Please. I am Sean. No nickname. Just Sean. Just Sean. And that's yeah, your nickname. Just Sean. Just Sean. Just Sean. Some people are just Jack. I'm just Sean. Yeah. There we go. Ah.
1: Wow. Wow. The improv is really working good tonight, isn't it? Yes, and? And. Uh, it's phenomenal. It's huge.
0: Yeah, this isn't working. we got to try again. Okay, I need a location big enough to fit in this podcast. Um, suggestions? Uh, the ether. The ether. I heard the ether. Now I need a profession, such as police officer or elevator operator or... Uh, network admin. I heard network admin in the ether. Yeah, you know what? Screw it. I'm I'm too tired to do this. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> me too. Yeah.
1: So. Let's just
0: play left-hand Larry. Good night, everybody.
1: Okay. I'm probably mm. better off not knowing, am I? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So you had asked before you so rudely didn't introduce yourself what I had been up to or what I oh, had been yes. playing. Um, I didn't I've say been,
0: anything about what you've been playing. I just said what you've been up to. But if you well, wish to I, say what you've been playing, go right ahead. I mean, it's, well, I've don't been, horse
1: off my teeth. No. Hmm. Interesting. I've been uh, I've been doing this, that, and the other, and raising good, a good. family. And um, as far as games, I've been uh, playing Fantasy uh, Star on the Sega Master System again, trying to go through it again. But I uh, did a hmm. put a cheat on the thing because I just didn't feel like. Uh, but yeah, I put a cheat on it. So uh, uh, one of those uh, deals. deals. Yeah. But I did solve it way back when I was uh, when I first had a Master System without a cheat. Which was uh, quite the accomplishment because the last enemy in the game is uh, pretty, uh, pretty much of a pain in the butinsky to uh, to get by. But um, I'm getting pretty far at it, and uh, I'm remembering why I really liked the game. But now I'm remembering why I don't like RPGs also, and that's uh, just the grinding to level up. It's not as bad in Fantasy Star as it is in other games, uh, even you know without the cheat that I have applied to the ROM but it's still a pain in the butt. With grinding is the reason why I stopped playing World of Warcraft years ago cuz it was just not fun just trying to wow, I got I'm going to grind and get all this experience just so I can get this one weapon I can finally use. I'm like, this is fun? Well, I've told that story before, but uh Oh, by so, the way,
0: I am a, I'm a very thoughtfully holding my chin in my hand while thoughtfully nodding indicating that Yes, I'm paying attention to your story. Please go on.
1: Oh, well, good. So that's pretty which works much, so well in an audio podcast. It certainly does. And that's pretty much what I've been up to. I haven't really done a whole lot different other than playing the games that we're going to be talking about tonight. yeah, and um yeah, honestly, same, well, maybe a little bit. I've been I
0: haven't played any Atari stuff, which is a crying shame. Uh, I went to Galloping Ghost on this past Sunday for the sole purpose of playing the games that we about which we are talking tonight, and uh, met up. With, I saw a couple of the usuals. Um, no, I'll give you three guesses to one of one of the people who, whom I saw there, and the first ten guesses don't count. Tim Foley. Ooh, Doc. Almost. No, nope, no Doc. James White. James White. Ding 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 ding. But that, does, that doesn't count, though. Oh. Because I said the first 10 don't count. But, yeah, James White was there, and uh, yeah, I think he, he and Sean, uh, actually, Sean Quigley and I, we rode we wrote down together, and he's the only other regular I saw there, so that was, it was, well, it's, it was Sunday. Sundays are usually pretty uh-huh. tame at the Ghosts, usually Fridays and Saturdays when,
1: yeah, you're not going to be able to move, like, more than 10 inches, but... I pl- oh man yeah I played um oh I did forget one other thing I did since we last recorded I did get over to uh the uh, the joysticks arcade here in Morris Ooh, um yeah do tell yeah and they've only got like 10 maybe 12 games tops but uh they were having their one year anniversary thing it was like you know three bucks and uh you know they provided pizza for the people there for as part of the celebration it was really pretty crowded uh, it's not a huge space at all it's bar way probably about the size of my bedroom maybe a little bit bigger bigger no, they're but they're part um, of um clutter uh, clutter right? yes it's yeah, kind okay. of a not really an antique store not really a junk store it's mostly maybe better a called a miscellaneous merchandise store um they had really cool horror movie uh, lunch boxes there which are kind of oh. newer products uh, i want the texas chainsaw massacre one that one was really cool yeah, and so. that's what
0: irks me, because people, people usually our parents' age, spreading this stuff around Facebook, remember metal lunchboxes? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, they still make them. <laughs> and what's the first thing I talked about when we started? I talked about a new acquisition of my record collection. I hear so many times, like, people in the radio say, okay, kids, uh, back when I was young, we had these things called records that had a <laughs> big hole in them. It's like, dude, kids know what records are.
1: They're still being made. I, I don't know I don't remember if I brought if I mentioned this in the previous podcast but uh, I just recently read a, a list of the bands that have sold the most vinyl records in history and number four or five was Panic at the Disco that was the only modern band I can see that because before then singles were made out of polystyrene not vinyl well so. you know what I mean yeah uh, non you know non digital like LPs maybe it was LPs but. Uh, so yeah, Panic at the Disco is one of them and I was Wait, was it shocked. Panic at the Disco or Panic at the Disco? Uh they only dropped the the thing for like one or two albums. I think oh, okay. the uh, the, the right. bang is back. Good. That's the good. The bang, to know. It, that ooh, that should be our uh, tagline. The bang is back. Yeah, considering someone stole our
0: ta- the tagline we were going to use. Stay fresh cheese bags. Well, then again, we were going to we were stealing it anyway, but Yeah, true. So, yeah, uh, what else had you been up to it's before I rudely interrupted you in your training uh, Yeah, something that um, I played at the Ghost, actually. I have this habit of when I'm at an arcade, I'll play the games we had just talked about <laughs> in addition to the ones we're going to talk about. So I played Tetris, and next to Tetris was Columns and in the same cabinet with another Sega Falling Blocks game I was curious about. Is called uh, Blockseed, B-L-O-X-E-E-D. Have you ever heard of it? That sounds so familiar. Yeah, it, it's from 1990, and uh, the game was currently set to uh, columns, and there's a little button on the cabinet you press, and it toggles right. back and forth between the other that and the other games. So I flipped over to Blockseed. Blockseed is basically Tetris with really? power-ups. That's all it is, Tetris with power-ups. But it's a lot better than Sega's actual Tetris game that came out overseas that I... Mentioned briefly in episode 88, but I played that for a little while. And I noticed right now that the arcade high score is held by D Alex, one of our Patreon sponsors. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's something I guess. And yeah, that's just about all. Oh, and I, I played that, that boogie wings game that you had oh. told me about. And to me, it was just another like side-scrolling bullet hell game. I didn't really get anything out of it. Really? It wasn't the laugh riot. I was hoping it would be. Oh wow! Well, uh, hmm. I mean, it's it's got some unique features, but you know, it's like yeah. Yeah.
1: I love the game, so I guess that's all that matters.
0: That's that's fine. I mean, it's okay to love it to love that. Not everybody
1: will like everything. It's okay to love a game that's not Professor Pac Man. Yeah, there you go. And it's okay to hate a game that is. It's only okay to hate a game that is. Well. I've got a few, but then again, I can't say yeah. I really hate Mortal Kombat though, because two player, uh, one-on-one yeah. as long as you're, you know, as long as you both agree to play one-on-one, uh, yeah. it's a fun game. Yes. As long as nobody's being a butthole about it, which that's not what we should do. We should go back through and all these games that were two people simultaneous, we should go back and re-rate them, uh, yeah. from a simultaneous perspective because those games would take on a different dimension. Sure. Like that. So we should go back through and re-rate Mario Brothers, Joust, Mortal Kombat, and all of those. It doesn't do a special yeah. episode about that stuff, I think. Yeah,
0: we already played the two, we already played the Space, space Duel, Duel And bl- Blastroids.
1: And, and Blastoids, yeah. yeah. But so we don't have to do those, but uh, I think we should do the other games. Ooh, like that. Yeah. That's a good thought. Hmm. I have them once in a while. Yeah.
0: Well, that's more when I have them.
1: So, uh hmm. I don't think we have any Hmm. addenda and errata. Oh, yes, we do there, Space Cowboy.
0: But some call me the gangster of love. This was supposed to be last episode's addenda and errata. Oh. But I couldn't find it. I (laughs) found it. I found it. Um, And it actually, not only did I find it, but I found it actually in episode 17, going way back. This is like 2015. When we talked about Revolution X, mm-hmm. one of us who's not this guy talking right now, said that Galloping Ghost has the three-gun version of Revolution X. Yeah. No, they don't.
1: Oh, they don't. I thought they do. No.
0: When we, I, I noticed when we were there with uh, the the Tenpence guys, lying gets that it was only two guns, and I double checked on Sunday when I went back. And, yeah, it's only two guns. So it must have been a Terminator 2 conversion or something. So, yeah, just two. Unless they replaced it, I don't know.
1: I don't know. Well, it, you know, it is what they have. So I remember the first time I we went to Galloping Ghost, there were some video problems with uh, with Terminator 2. But by the time I got back there, they had it fixed. But this is when Galloping Ghost was small. <laughs> so, that, in other words, that was a long time ago. Even when it was small, it wasn't small. That's true. That's because true.
0: still, you could go even back then, four or five years ago. I could go onto Galloping Ghost's website, and if there was a game I wanted to play, and I looked it up on their list, they had it.
1: They had it. At one time, Galloping Ghost had a party room with uh, with a couch and uh, TV and consoles. Yeah, that's long gone. That's long gone. Yeah, they got th- they kind of got like a whole industry going there on Tomlin Avenue now.
0: Oh, for cripe's sake! Doc owns most of of uh, Brookfield now. It seems like it. I hope he has enough pull that they can do... Well, okay, first I was thinking, I hope he has enough pull that he can do something about the traffic situation, because, man, if you want to go to Tony's, it's it's impossible to walk across the street safely. But the thing is, any second now, Tony's is actually moving down the
1: street, so yeah. that might not be an issue anymore. Yeah, I heard they're going actually a mile down the street, so... Oh, a whole mile? That's what I thought they they were saying. I thought it was closer than that. I thought it was only a few blocks. No, I heard a mile. Oh, Hmm. Yeah, so let's get in my car. Yeah, or just walk down to Dunkin' Donuts. And I will because I love Tony's. I still got to try a burger there. Have you tr- gone, tried a burger there yet? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, or, oh, no, no, I think you were saying that you would like to, what was it you were saying? You were saying something about the burgers on the last I was saying
0: I'd like to go there so I can have a burger, but the thing is, the last several times I've been there, it was in the morning. before Oh, oh wow. gotcha, gotcha. It's like, ah, come on. If it's on the menu, just let me order it. It's not like they got to do anything special to the grill. Yeah, it's like, come on, people. Oh, well. Yeah, any of you listening who own restaurants, just serve regular food all day long, please. Not everybody likes breakfast food. <laughs> That's the second episode in a row that I'm whining about this, so you know it's serious.
1: Oh, come on.
0: <sighs> At any rate. Any any who uh, uh, Jimmy G, do you have any errata or addenda? No, no, not yet. But uh, and yay, if we f- we finally get to have to use the uh, love theme because we didn't need it last episode.
1: Yay! Hmm. But I'm sure if cou- not too much longer we will have some addenda and errata. But you you're know, yeah, I, know. Here you go. I, I mean, I know, back I from our hiatus and all that. Our high what? Hiatus. Oh, oh, hiatus. Okay. Hiatus. All right. Hiatus. Hiatus. Oh, so. oh so, wow we're we're not too far into the uh, the podcast and we can already talk about the games why don't we do that uh, what wow. game and we don't with, have a drinking game? arena or anything oh that's yes we fun. do yes we do yes oh, we, we do? do oh yes we do well, maybe we should do that first
0: yeah day. i have a uh, pop here that's made by oh, or those of you in in uh, the south coke uh those of you uh, elsewhere soda uh those of you in new england twanik it is made by Rocket Fizz, but it's not a Lester's Fixins drink. But it's weird enough that I got it anyway. Oh, it is butter soda. And butter it's made soda, with pure cane sugar. So hmm. let me try this stuff. It looks very, very yellow. It looks more yellow than Mountain Dew, and it's a, it's translucent. Are you sure it's a soda? Well, what else could it be? Please, please say what it could be. Dog Whiz. Dog Whiz. Hmm? Ooh, that would be an interesting flavor. It's not bad. Is it it cre- tastes vaguely like butter has it definitely has sweetness in it, but it's got pure cane sugar. It says here on the front of the label. So it's sweet butter. All right, I'll put it to you this way. It tastes like cream soda, but without being cream soda or, or oh I, I, better yet. I think it's butterscotch soda that uh, some places sell. I think underground retrocade has it in their fridge. Um, it's I, I know Scott called it butter beer once. And it's, it's like a butterscotch-flavored soda. It Ooh. tastes like that, but without being butterscotch. Hmm. But the butterscotch soda is really amazing, and I, I don't, don't like try butterscotch. That. I don't like butterscotch, but the soda's great. Mm. But, you know, this is, it's not bad. It's definitely got a buttery aftertaste. Uh-huh. Uh, I would not use this as a butter
1: substitute, though. It's just way too sweet for that. Uh, so I'm, you're saying I shouldn't put it on my popcorn? No, no.
0: Mm. Oh, man, I want some popcorn now. Movie I wonder what popcorn. it
1: would be like if you reduced it down to a syrup state and put it on pancakes. Oh. Because hmm. that's that was kind of a thing for a while where some uh, higher-end pancake houses were reducing down like root beer or cola or something into a syrup consistency and then pouring it over pancakes.
0: I know there used to be a time you could go to Walgreens and get Coca-Cola syrup like unmixed. I don't well, know if you, know can you still Well, I
1: know you can get like uh, like Dr Pepper or orange crush uh, or or uh, dad's uh, barbecue sauce. In fact, when I make barbecue sauce, I put bourbon and uh, root beer in it and I reduce that down and put the drippings from the from whatever meat I'm cooking into it. So, hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Alright, so that's uh, Sean's drinking arena. Uh, any questions, comments, concerns? No, no, nothing. Good, nothing. good. How about we talk about some video games video of the arcade games. variety? Sure. Let us do that. Mm, lettuce. Yeah, not really a huge lettuce fan, but oh well. Rabbit food. I like salads. I like Caesar salad. Yeah.
1: What kind of a patty and the, is a salad? And the
0: chicken club salad at Lou Malnati's. That's my favorite thing on their menu, even really? though they have really good pizza. I love their uh, gluten-free pizza. It's not available at any of the Lou's
1: that I've frequented.
0: Really? Yeah. Wait. Either that or they have a different variety of it. It's not they the
1: sausage-based. Yeah. Oh, that is just so good. It's like a heart attack waiting to happen. I remember for when I first bit into it, I'm like, that's a weird-tasting crust. And then I then I looked at it and realized, oh, wait, that's a disc of sausage. I'm like, oh, gosh.
0: Only sausage pizza I like, Lumanati's. Really? Hmm. They, they don't use that Italian sausage that has fennel in it. Or anise or whatever
1: that stuff is. <laughs> I hate that. I don't like anise either, but I don't think they put that in sausage. Oh yeah, Italian hmm. sausage usually has it. That's news to me. I think you might be thinking of fennel.
0: Well, well, yeah, it's either fennel or anise. It's kind of what I said. Here.
1: Fennel is like usually the, kept like in the seed state. Hmm. Something like there is a caraway. I don't know. It's
0: it's it's probably fennel. I don't like fennel. Okay, well, fair enough. Anyway, how about we talk about some arcade video games? Sure, let's do that. All right, all right. This episode, we have two two video games that we're going to talk about. So that's uh, something uh, pretty not unusual. Oh so, yeah. So, with which one should we start? Uh, why don't we start with Cubert's uh, Cubes? Cubert's Cubes. Uh, yes. Oh, what's 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 uh, this? Uh, what year's, was our uh... thing?
1: Aha! Uh-huh. Cubert's uh-huh.
0: Cubes. Cubert's Cubes, released in 1984. Now, some of the things that I'm saying, I cannot really confirm because I'm kind of questioning some of the sources. Uh, One thing I'm not questioning is that it was released in 1984, and I can explain that in a moment. One of the things I am questioning, though, is one of the sources said that there is something unique about Qbert's Cubes in that there were two slightly different marquees that it was released under. Uh, One of the marquees says that it's published by Gottlieb. The other says that it's Milstar, or is it Milestar or Millstar? I'm not really sure. I always thought it was Milestar. If only I knew somebody who used to work there who could tell me. He's huh. out of oh, country well. right now. Ah, and what's Milestar? Milestar is, is Rat the Slime. New... Rat Slime spelled backwards, and I'll get to that in a moment. Ah, oh. Milestar is the name that Gottlieb was called after the Coca-Cola Company acquired Columbia Pictures. Columbia Pictures being Gottlieb's parent company. I believe we mentioned that before. We certainly mentioned it in the interview with Jeff Lee. And uh, when Gottlieb became Milestar, apparently the vibes were kind of bad. The atmosphere changed. The work atmosphere changed. And the famous story is that longtime Gottlieb developer, Ed Krinsky, kind of venting about his exasperation with how things happened, said that Milestar looks like rat slime spelled backwards. Although some sources say it was Warren Davis. Uh Warren Davis, who was the programmer behind Qbert. Uh and um September 1984, Columbia had shut down Milestar. So that was it. They didn't Milestar as a company didn't last long, so just a few months really. But going back to Qbert's Cubes itself, obviously it is a sequel to Cubert. Cubert's Cubes uses pretty much all the sounds, all the music from the original Cubert. What you heard in Qbert, you're also gonna hear in Qbert's Cubes, including the startup sound when the machine boots up, Hello, hi, 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 hi. and the little bye-bye sound when you exit the high score entry table. Hi, hi. The gameplay, however, that's a different story. Uh, those of you who've never seen Cubert's Cubes, which I imagine some of you haven't, instead of a pyramid of tightly packed cubes, Cubert is hopping around a diamond shape of a five by five grid of cubes, and the cubes aren't connected together; there are gaps in between them. The sides of each of the cubes in the grid are particular colors. At first, there are just two colors. Some sides are purple, some sides are yellow. On level 2, the cubes have 3 different colors, like two of the sides have one color, two of the sides have another, two of the sides have another. And starting with level 3, each of the 6 sides of each cube has a different color, so 6 different colors per cube at that point. Just as with the original Cubert, Cubert has to avoid certain enemies. Just as in with the original Qbert, there is a purple ball that eventually falls down to the bottom of the formation. Now the difference is the purple ball hatches into whom? Uh not coily. Not coily, that's right. Yeah. The original game, coily being a snake, hatched from a purple ball or an egg. In Qbert's cubes, however, somehow a mammal hatches from the ball. A ma- I don't know. Is this I, I, this I can't really say this is video game physics because this is more like anatomy and physiology.
1: I think it's like a mouse or something that comes out of it. At least that's what it looks like to me. It's a rat, but the thing a is, rat. in
0: the real world, rats are live bearers; they're not hatched. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the rat's name is Rat-a-tat-tat. Okay, and he can jump around anywhere in the formation just like Coily could in the original Cubert. And uh, the thing about Cubert is. The original Qbert game, there were flying discs on either side of the pyramid. And you can jump on a flying disc to escape. And the cool thing about that, of course, was that Coily could follow you right off the pyramid when you jump onto a flying disc. There are no flying discs in Qbert's cubes, but you can still make ratatat tat fall off the formation. How? Well, I'll tell you there, Shortwell. When Cubert moves throughout the formation, the cube that he's standing on actually rotates when he leaves it, basically depending on which direction he's traveling. Like imagine, say, log rolling or know, walking on a ball, watching how that, like when you walk on it, it flies backwards, you know, things like that. If rat tat jumps on you and lands on a cube that is still in rotation, he will slide off of it, and you'll get a little bit of bonus on that. There's another type of enemy that Kubert has to avoid, and these enemies are called meltniks. And they are the equivalent of Ugg and Wrongway from the original Kubert game, except actually I think they're more the equivalent of the red ball. There's no red ball in Kubert's cubes, but the red ball in Kubert would start at the top of the pyramid and just descend, keep going, keep going down to the bottom of the pyramid until they fall off. That's pretty much what happens with the meltniks. They're these little creatures with legs and giant snoots, they start at the top of the formation and they hop their way down until they fall off the diamond formation. They're different colors. There's some brown, some like light blue, some dark blue, some yellow. Actually, I don't know if they're a dark blue off the top of my head. But, but one cool thing, though, is... If a Meltnik lands on a cube in which the top of the cube is the same color as the Meltnik, the Meltnik will sink down into that cube and disappear. I don't believe there are any bonus points for that, by the way. So, those are the enemies that Cubert has to avoid Ratatat and the Meltniks. There are other enemies, although I don't know if you'd so much call them. En- well, yeah, I guess you would. But there are green enemies. And just as with the original Cubert, it is safe for Cubert to land on them in Cubert's Cubes. The real true green enemies are called Shoebops, and they strongly resemble, but are not quite identical to Sam and Slick from the original game. And I'll get back to uh, those guys in a moment. There's also a new character called Sheldon the Turtle. He'll come down from the top of the pyramid just like uh, the Shoebops, and if you land on Sheldon the Turtle, the enemies are going to slow down, so that could be to your advantage. And there is a green ball. And just as with the original Cubert, if you land on the green ball, all of the enemies freeze, and Qbert can move freely around the grid without the enemies hurting him. Yay. Now, I had mentioned before, and I'm surprised you didn't jump on me for this, but I talked about how when Cubert leaves a cube, the cube will rotate depending on the direction that he jumps. Mm-hmm. What does Qbert need to do, though? What does he need to do? Oh, you don't know. So, well, oh, let no, me explain. But I'm going to let you. you reveal it. Oh, okay. So you're taking this as a uh, rhetorical question ish. Oh, yes. Or a leading question so that I may explain the answer, which is fine. On the top left side of the screen, similar to the uh, top left side of the screen, the original Cubert, there is a cube that we're going to call the target cube. And the target cube shows you how Qbert has to rotate the cube. Like, for example, it might require, say, yellow on top and purple on the front left and blue on the uh, front right side of as to what's visible. Basically, you have to arrange cubes so that they match that target cube. There are four rounds per level, and how do you finish a round? You finish a round by making a designated, say, tic-tac-toe of cubes that are arranged to match the target cube. They could be horizontal, vertical, or diagonal, just as long as you have five in a row. Each level has its own rule as to how many tic-tac-toes you need. At first, you just need one tic-tac-toe and the level's over. Later on, you'll need to complete two tic-tac-toes, and then three tic-tac-toes, and then four tic-tac-toes. I'm just going to tell you right now, um, I've never reached a level that requires four tic-tac-toes, because I'm Hmm. not all that good. And when you finish around, Kubert does kind of a backflip. Well, I don't know if it's a backflip, some kind of somersault. He flips off the grid. No, I don't mean that he gives the grid the middle finger, even though he swears in this game just like in the original. <laughs> <laughs> and when he flips off of the grid, there we go, flips off of the grid. Yes, I know off of is redundant, but um, just so you know that he's not giving the finger. He is caught by two blue creatures that are holding a trampoline. And because he is actually caught by two blue creatures, you can actually end the level successfully by jumping off the grid without dying. Uh-huh. That is only if that final move, when you jump off the grid, completes the round. If it doesn't complete the round, then he'll just fall off, not be caught, and he'll die, just like in the original. And he'll make the same sound effect, too.
1: Ow.
0: And uh, in earlier levels, once Cubert arranges a cube in its proper orientation, that cube gets locked into place, it turns black, and it's outlined in a bright green color. And once that cube is locked, Cubert cannot change the cube at all. It's locked into place, it's good, it's done. However, the Shoebops can rotate the cube if it's locked. Shoebops are able to rotate cubes, kind of like how Slick and Sam and the original Cubert would change the cube colors back to their original color. Well, guess what? The Shoebops will be able to rotate the cubes. However, having said that, sometimes when they rotate the cubes, they'll actually rotate the cubes to the correct orientation, which of course is to your advantage. So you kind of have to judge whether or not you want to go out of your way to stop them. Now, having said all that, after the fourth round in each level, you are given a bonus round. You have a grid, just like with all the other grids, 5 by 5 but instead of hopping around the grid and avoiding enemies, now you just go cube by cube, starting from the top and going down, and you simply rotate each cube until it turns into the target cube's orientation. And you have a time limit. The first cube you rotate properly, you get 100 points, The next cube, you get 200, 300, etc., all the way up to 2500 points if you finish the entire grid. And how much time do you have to do that? Well, it depends on how quickly you finish the other levels. Each level has a countdown timer, and the countdown timer is maintained throughout the entire level. It starts at different numbers depending on how far advanced you are in the game, the further you are in the game the higher the countdown timer number is, and it'll roll all the way down until you're either done with all four levels or until it reaches 15. 15 is the minimum number of seconds you will have on the bonus timer. And by the way, I mentioned before, the green ball freezes the enemies. Yes, it does, but it does not freeze the bonus timer. (gasps) So yeah, bonus timer keeps counting down while you're under the spell of the green ball. Uh, Jimmy G. Did I leave out anything important? Not that I can think of. Oh, good, because I want to get into a little bit of history behind the game. Please do. Well, thank you for your request. There, earlier I mentioned Warren Davis. Warren Davis was the lead developer behind the original Cubert, so he was asked to do Cubert's Cubes. He said, "No, thank you. I'd rather work on this other Cubert sequel I have in my mind. It's called Harder, Faster, More Challenging Cubert." So, since Warren wasn't going to be doing this game, Neil Burstein, or is it Burstein? I'm going to say Burstein, was the main designer and developer for Cubert's Cubes. And just as with the original Cubert, you had Jeff Lee working on the graphics, audio by David Teal, and uh, cabinet art by Terry Dorzaff. Uh, having said that, though, Jeff Lee said that the artwork on Cubert's Cubes looks a lot more like the artwork of Larry Day than Terry Dorzaff. So, I don't know. I don't know. But Cubert's Cubes was the first game that Neil Burstein worked on. Not not bad for a first. G- not bad for any game, really. And uh, one of the working titles that was proposed was Cubert's Flash Cubes. And yeah, that was kind of based on the old Flash Cubes that uh, your little camera had mm-hmm. back in the sixties and seventies. I remember those things barely. That title comes from a design document that was found that was drawn up possibly by Richard Tracy. The final name Cubert's Cubes likely came from either. Richard Tracy, or Neil Burstein. I don't think it's known for sure which of those guys actually did that. The original concept, by the way, Kubert's Cubes had a different concept, and this was based on a design that was found dated January 20th, 1984. Cubert's Cubes was intended to be a two-player simultaneous competitive game. Huh. You won the round by flipping more cubes than your opponent did to their proper orientation. And what's even more fascinating than that is... Um, I don't remember if we mentioned this in the Cubert episode, but Konami made a Cubert conversion for the MSX. Mm-hmm. Thing is, the Konami Cubert for MSX doesn't resemble the Cubert game at all. In fact, Q- you won't even see anything that looks like the Cubert character in it. But the way the game plays, it's actually closer to the original concept for Cubert's cubes. Huh. It looks absolutely nothing like the original Cubert, but it does look dangerous. In fact, uh, I saw a YouTube video of the Konami Cubert, and somebody commented, That's Cubert's cubes.
1: <laughs> so
0: that's pretty interesting. Also, interesting is that even though they are called Shoebops on the arcade cabinet and in the operation manual, they were actually originally called Shoebobs. Shoebobs. S H O O B O B S. That's what they were called in the original drawings, and that's also how Jeff Lee refers to them in his book, *Cubert and We. He calls them Shubobs. Not only that, but according to Jeff, the original drawings of the Shoebobs actually identified them as Sam and Slick. And where does that name Shubob come from? Haha, <laughs> Jeff Lee has an answer for that. Oh? He says that uh, it comes from a little catchphrase that his brother Steve used to say a lot. Ugam Shoebob. And where did Steve get that Oogum Shoebob catchphrase from? Well, the Ug'um part comes from a song called the Oogum Boogum Song. Oogham, Oogham, Oogham,
1: Oogham, Oogham, Oogham now, baby, you're
0: spell Which was a R&B hit in 1967 by Brenton Wood. Uh, where does the Shoebob part come from? Uh, Jeff's not sure. And <laughs> ergo, neither am I. Other things worth mentioning about Qbert's Cubes and the history of Kubert's Cubes is that Rat-A-Tat-Tat had other names before they settled on Rat-A-Tat-Tat. Such names include Joe Rat, Bo Rat, Bro Rat, Natharat, Rat Gut, Rat-L-O-K-O-K-E-H. I wonder if that's taken from the old uh, OK record label from back in the 30s, 40s. Let's see, other names considered for Rat-A-Tat-Tat were Ratchet, rat E. it's spelled F-A-R-Hyphen-I, by the way, and Slim. So there you go. There was also some kind of a bird character designed for the game. It might've even been programmed in the graphics, but not actually used. And I think Jeff had mentioned that there was also supposed to be a demon character in the game that ended up not being used. I was not able to find any of this information online. This all came from the book, *Cubert and we, which is about, uh, the history of Gottlieb and, uh, Milestar Rat Slime and I will put a link to where you can buy that book in the show notes. Uh the copy of the book that I have it's called the Advanced Readers Edition. <laughs> I don't quite know what that means, but it does have a disclaimer in it that says that it's the first edition of the book and there are likely a lot of mistakes that are going to be corrected in a uh later edition of the book. But I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's a fascinating read. I strongly strongly recommend it. And uh yeah. So, any questions there, uh, Jimbo the G?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Was this game ported to anything?
0: <laughs> Funny you should ask there, Darjeeling. Uh, there are some home versions. There's the Atari 2600 version, which is very similar to the arcade game, except number one, the graphics are kind of weird, and it's personally I find it hard to follow, and it's a four by four grid. Since the grid is smaller. On the Atari 2600 version, they compensated for the smaller grid by ramping up the difficulty, so the game always has cubes with six colors. Oh, interesting. That was done by Parker Brothers, as was the ColecoVision version, and the ColecoVision version doesn't have Sheldon the Turtle in it, but I'm pretty sure the 2600 version does. And, on top of that... Not terribly long ago, there was an almost finished prototype for the Commodore 64 unearthed oh. by Robin Ballweg. Oh, interesting. Who's Robin Ballweg? Well, she was the artist for that particular game, and she was employed by the James Wickstead Design Associates Company. They're still around, by the way. I'm guessing that Parker Brothers outsourced them to do the Commodore 64 version of Cubart's uh, Cubes. There may have been a prototype for the VIC-20 as well, but there's been no solid evidence, just hearsay. Oh, you know what? I should talk about uh, how you score points in Cubert's Cubes. How do you it, score points? It? By playing the game. Wow. Really, you don't need to do much more than play the game to score points, because if you land on a cube, you get five points right there. When you rotate a cube so that it matches the target cube correctly, you get 100 points, and you also get 100 points if you land on any of the green objects, be it the green ball, Sheldon the Turtle, or the shoebops. If you make ret fall off the grid, you'll get somewhere in the neighborhood between 5 and 500 points inclusive, and you get an end-of-round bonus. Uh, if you finish the round, you get 200 points or higher, depending on how far you're into the game, Per cube that is rotated to match the target cube, regardless of whether that cube is part of a tic-tac-toe. So yeah, even if you have some cubes rotated in the proper orientation, but they're not part of a tic-tac-toe that finishes the round, you still get bonus points for it. So yeah, that that there is Cubert's cubes. Um, Jimmy G, where did you first see and or play Cubert's cubes? Let's talk about our memories okay. of this game.
1: Well, first of all, the first place I've ever seen. Hubert's Cubes. Well, the first version I ever saw was the actually the Atari 2600 version. And I really? saw that at, um, geez, I don't remember the year, but I went up to Oshkosh, Wisconsin for the Experimental Aircraft Association Fly Market with, uh, with my friend uh, Mark from Mars Merchandising in Lombard, Illinois. Oh. Uh, he was running a tent there, and he asked me if I would come along to help run it. And we were we stayed in a farmhouse up there, and the hosts had an Atari Twenty Six Hundred there with uh, with Cubert's Cubes. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't really get to play it that much. Ah. Um, and I think I saw the ColecoVision version next. I believe I may have had that on a, on an Atom Data Pack. Uh, I had the uh, had it the cartridge burned to uh, to a tape. And the first time I actually saw the arcade game was at Galloping Ghost recently. Yeah. So there's that. I mean I had played it in MAME, but Oh yeah. I don't know if I really sh- really should count that. But uh so that's pretty much my experience with it. I don't have a whole heck of a lot, but I have played it in various different uh formats. Sure.
0: I never heard of Cubert's cubes until I was looking through a list of MAME ROMs. I was like, huh? And that's how I-, I found out about the faster, harder, more challenging Qbert. Yeah. I-, I got curious about that. I was like, hmm, let me check that out. And I was able to figure it out pretty quickly, and I, I thought it was really, really cool. And I gotta tell this story, because I... This game did not get a wide distribution, partly because of the whole Milestar situation, partly because that was right around the time of the the, the uh, video game crash. Even the, the video game crash didn't so much affect arcades as much as it affected home consoles, but there was still a little bit of uh, fallout in the arcades from it, so there wasn't really a lot of opportunity for... Uh, this game to be made. Oh, by the way, speaking of which, the other thing that I was not able to there are two other things that I was not able to confirm. Hmm. No, just one, just one. Yeah, the one thing that I wasn't able to confirm is that some sources say that the gameplay is kind of loosely based on the Rubik's Cube, which I kind of thought while I was playing it, believe it or not. However, I wasn't able to confirm that. I actually uh sent a quick message over to Jeff Lee and said hey Jeff can you confirm this he said i really don't know you have to ask neil burstein about that hmm. and unfortunately i don't have uh, neil burstein's contact information so i couldn't tell neil if you're listening can you confirm or deny that uh, the other thing i found out and this is uh, mentioned in uh, the book cubert and we, that there were two different versions of the cubert's cubes cabinet that went out one version with a vertically oriented monitor and another with a horizontally oriented monitor Oh wow! Which yeah, yeah, I never
1: I never knew that. I didn't I realize think, they had two different orientated monitors. Yeah, and I hate that word.
0: But yeah, and uh, that that was interesting that such a limited release had two different upright cabinet styles. I don't know if this was actually out. In, I don't think it was even out in a cocktail. But if you look at the actual cabinet, it's pretty much in terms of. How it's laid out, how the controls look—it's pretty much identical to Cubert. It has the same joystick, same orientation of start buttons. It's the uh, same four-way joystick rotated forty-five degrees, so you move it diagonally. But yeah, it's the only thing that makes it not Cubert is the gameplay, and which makes me think this, uh, Jimmy G. Remember when those times we talked about the uh, Pac-Man games that were made by Midway and um, GCC that were just hacked versions of Pac-Man, like Junior Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man. Yep. Do you remember what the reason is, that at least the one that I said, that Namco wasn't really thrilled with those particular, with uh, Ms. Pac-Man and Junior Pac-Man? I don't recall. I mean, aside from the fact that they didn't come up with it themselves and all this, but one thing that they were kind of hesitant about with Ms. Pac-Man, even though it did get their approval, was that, the gameplay was too similar to Pac-Man. Oh, right,
1: right, right, right. Yeah, right.
0: they said if you really want to have a, a decent sequel, you gotta change the gameplay up, which is why Super Pac-Man is so different. That's the uh, first sequel that Namco came out with, and it's and the gameplay is definitely it's still got the Pac-Man vibe, but it's a different gameplay. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what's going on with Qbert's cubes. It's got the same cube, Q- it's got Qbert, it's got all the same sounds, all the same music, but the gameplay is significantly different. And in this guy's opinion, the gameplay is fantastic. It's, it's unique. It's very creative and it works. It's fun to play, at least as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, uh, yeah, um, honestly, I'm not a fan of this game. Really, uh, yeah. I think it's just way too different. The screen is way too cluttered. The graphics, to me, just don't seem as sharp. I will give it that.
0: Qbert himself doesn't look quite as sharp as the original Qbert. It looks like a typical
1: computer game. It, it just it just doesn't feel. Hmm, I can it, see that. It just does not feel like Kubert to me. It just doesn't. Faster, harder, more challenging. Qbert, I think, is more is 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 more of a sequel than this is. Um, uh, I mean, it, it, faster, harder, more challenging. Cubert is to Cubert what Ms. Pac-Man is to Pac-Man, and Cubert's cubes is to Cubert what Super Pac-Man is to Pac-Man, or but maybe even uh, what Pac-Land is to Pac-Man. Hmm, uh, in the sense that, that the, just the gameplay is just so different, and I just cannot get into this one, and I just don't. Hmm. I'm guessing the reason it didn't see as huge a distribution is I'm guessing it probably didn't test as well. And it could be just because it was a late release too. I mean, that's always a, a yeah, that's always it's from a 1984, thing. right? But it's just I don't know. I just don't. I just don't. I'm not. I'm not a fan. I just really well, well, just don't well, like this game. Well, going back to that
0: previous point that it didn't get wide distribution. What Milestar Games did Mach
1: Three? That might be the only one. Uh, let me think. Milestar. I don't think Three Stooges didn't get huge distribution. Was Mad Planet's Gottlieb or Milestar? I think that was was Gottlieb. I think that was Milestar. think so? Was it? I don't know. I I I wish there were a way I could find out. Oh, well, it's not pertinent. But I think Mach 3 was the only one that got wide distribution, and that was a Laserdisc game. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Mad Planet's is is,
0: uh, Gottlieb. Okay. Um, Yeah, Three Stooges didn't get wide distribution despite its prominent appearance in uh, many episodes of What's What's Happening happening now. Now.
1: Yeah, quality TV. <laughs> no, well, actually, that that show wasn't anywhere near as good because it didn't have the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, I know, I know. So, hmm. If your show doesn't have the Doobie Brothers, why bother making it at all? Exactly. So, so yeah. Um, even though we haven't really talked about scores yet, um, I you know what? I'm gonna rate it anyway. Since Go ahead, I've Martin. already given no my one, opinion, I'm giving this No game one says
0: a, you have to rate it after the scores. True,
1: true. But we I'm gonna rate a- this game a
0: two. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, since um, you're rating it, I'm gonna I'm gonna rate it. Okay. And I'm actually rating this in our in our scale of one to five continues inclusive. One means it's the absolute lowest you could possibly rate it. Five means it's the highest you could possibly rate it. I'm giving this five continues. Whoa, really? Yeah, really. I like I actually like this better than the original Qbert, which is a classic. I, li- oh, I love wow. the original Qbert. But Cubert's cubes, I love the twist on it. I love the challenge. <laughs> twist. There's a pun, <laughs> and the gameplay. It it sucks me in. And well, you're right about the it sucks part. So yeah, five continues from me. Quite simply, because that's exactly what I do. I keep. Well, I don't really continue the game. I don't think it, it's not a continuable game. But when I go to Galloping Ghost, I tend to gravitate straight toward Cubic's Cube. Cubic's cubes. cubes. I, I tend to gravitate straight toward Cubert's cubes, and I'm playing multiple games in one standing. I don't end a game and walk away. I keep playing more and more and more. Hmm. Like I mentioned before, how Sean Quigley was at uh, Galloping Ghost. Well, partly because I gave him a ride there, <laughs> and mm-hmm. he pointed out how I spent a lot of time at that Cubert's cubes machine. He said, "Me too. That's such a that's such an addicting game." And uh, let me ask you this, Jimmy G. Yo, what if this game did not have the Cubert name attached to it? Would you feel
1: differently? Probably not. This, yes. I'm just not a fan of the uh, the mechanic overall. I was going to make a two lane blacktop joke, but uh, no, uh-huh. it wasn't going to
0: work. <sighs> oh well. But yeah, I'm I'm saying five continues. Where did I first see it or play it? Where There was Gallop, galloping ghost <gasps> again? Because I never heard of the damn game until like Mame was all the rage, and when I went to Vegas. I went to Vegas, what was it, 2015? I think it was. Or was it 2000? I don't know, but I went to Vegas. This was before Ga- Galloping Ghost hasn't had it for a terribly long time. But I knew that the Pinball Hall of Fame had it based on arcade.com. Mm-hmm. So I went to the, I made a trip to Pinball Hall of Fame in Vegas when we were out there last time for the sole purpose of playing Cubert's Cubes, and it wasn't out on the floor. <laughs> I was I was so ticked. Hmm, hmm, hmm. There was another Cubert. They had the regular Cubert game, I think, and they also had the Cubert's Quest pinball machine, mm-hmm. which I gotta say I'm not a fan of. It, was, it looks unfinished. Hmm. It has a lot of promise. It's definitely got a unique board, but there's not a lot going on with it. It's kind of dull. But hey, but other than that, I've only seen it at Galloping Ghost. Huh. Uh, Gallop. Y- People don't realize how many games that Gottlieb and Milestar, pretty much the same company, came out with. But Galloping Ghost, they have like a dozen of them along the wall. Like three of them are Cubert games. There's Crawl, Mach Three, uh, Mad Planets. Do they have uh, Mach Three? Yeah, uh, Three Stooges and Brides as Brides, which is the full title, by the way. Um. Oh, what's that superhero one? Argus. Argus. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's. You know,
1: I did arena. Didn't,
0: Yep. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm playing Cubert's Cubes and I back away and I'm seeing all these games that have either Gottlieb or Rat Slime on it. <laughs> and it's like, holy cow, they actually did a, a lot for such a short time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, uh, wow, Cubert's Cubes. Um, and I suddenly awkwardly don't know what to say at this point. Uh, so I figure maybe now is a good time to uh, acknowledge high scores for Cubert's hey, Cubes. Let's do that. Yeah, let's. Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com. Those of you who didn't hear the explanation before, the reason I heard that it's pronounced Orcade is because the guy who started that site is named Auric. Like, Arcade, Auric. Auric Goldfinger? Probably, probably. He's the man, the man with the Midas touch. There are actually two different tracks for the game on Orcade.com, one for normal difficulty, one for hard difficulty, and both were set by Matt Walters in December of 2017. Normal difficulty, um, the highest score on Orcade.com is 2,017,255, performed December 18th that year, and a week earlier he got the high score in hard difficulty, 369,530. On the Twin Galaxies side of things, uh, they only track normal difficulty. William Rosa has that record right now. Set, um, Wow, Two years ago, almost to the day, uh, William Rose's score is 20,212,885, verified February 24th, 2017 via the Twin Galaxies scoring and adjudication process. And all these scores that I mentioned follow the rules of three lives with an extra life at 10,000 points, then an additional life every additional 20,000 points, and you may start at any level. By the way, starting at any level, it's one of those things where the higher the level is that you start with, you get a certain number of bonus points for clearing the first round. And if you start at level five, I think you get 200,000 points for clearing that round. I don't think you get a bonus life for that, though. Uh-huh. I, think you, I think you have to get to the next 20,000 after that, but I might be wrong. Uh, maybe I'll check it out. Maybe I won't. But uh, uh, yeah, so uh, Jimmy G, any further thoughts about no, this game? No, not really. It's not a game I go to. I just that is good to know because if I ever see you a galloping ghost, I know that's one more chance that I'll have to play Cubert's Cubes.
1: Well, fine, I'll be playing two tigers. Good. Just, last I was there, though, I think the machines were not that far apart. So, oh, <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, so I think
0: they're still that, that not far apart.
1: There you go. Yeah, oh. and knowing is half the battle. So, yeah, I'll maybe we go. should move on. You think? Are we done with Cubert's Cubes? I'm done with Cubert's Cubes as well, although, although I can't wait to go back and
0: play the Galloping Ghost.
1: I was done with it the first time I saw it, to, oh. quote, to quote Master Shake. So, uh-huh. why don't we talk about our next game? I don't know why we don't. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh! Crater Raider. Say, uh-huh. say that fast three times. Crater Raider, Crater Raider, Crater that Raider. That fast three times, Crater Raider, Crater Raider, Crater Raider. So, yeah, Crater Raiders, 1984, Bally Midway game. It's on a raster monitor, and it's got a, a unique, like, curved, mirrored screen. That is weird. It takes a little getting used to, but once yeah. uh, once you get into it, it's uh, it's actually kind of cool. There is the upright, but apparently there's also a sit-down model of this game, which I have never seen nor seen a picture of. Uh, the controls are interesting. It has a dial and a two-way joystick, but unlike most games with a two-way joystick, it goes up and down, not left and right. Oh, it's only a two-way? Yeah, it's only two way. No, I guess that would
0: make sense. It's basically Tron, but with an extra button on
1: it. Yeah, it's and the joystick has a trigger uh, yeah. to fire and a button on top to activate your shields. And um, if you push up on the joystick, you move forward, and you push back, you move backwards. And the dial, the the dial on the on the game, uh, rotates your tank. And one problem I have with this game is sometimes I get confused about what the front of the tank is. I know it's got a couple of guns that stick out of the front, but sometimes in the heat of battle, the the, the way that the, the top of the tank is designed, it almost looks like it should be the front because it's like all glass, but that's actually the back of the tank. And that throws me off from time to time. Oh, but... yeah, me too. Me too. It's like, oh,
0: crap, run yeah. away.
1: So, um, yeah, but, you know, minor, minor detail. But uh, the object of the game is you're in a... Huge in the center of a huge field of craters, and there are hostages all over the planet. That starts with like two and you know and it goes up. And uh, what you got to do is you got to pick them up and take them back to the base in the middle of the screen. Kind of a choplifter sort of thing going on here. For the way, way you pick them up is you go over to the crater and you go into the crater, which is just behind the hostage, and then. The hostage gets put into your tank. On the top right of the screen next to the score shows you how many hostages are left to be picked up in the, in the field. And at the lower left corner of the screen, once you've picked one up, there's a little like stick figure It shows you how many you have on your tank. Right next to that, there is a shield gauge. And you start up with the gauge half full. And you can refill that by going into craters that have a little flag in front of them. There are also uh, craters with uh, with point values on them. And every time you go into a crater, the crater will seal up and then it will transport you somewhere else to another crater somewhere in the play area. And it doesn't just teleport you there. it sh- the, the play field actually moves toward that crater. It scrolls over to that crater, which is a good thing because the play field is so large you might miss uh, locations of other, uh, of other hostages. And that will kind of help you... Get your bearings, at, uh, if you will. So the game, you start with three lives. Interesting, I was uh, I had to replay this because it did, something didn't seem right about this. But uh, you, you start with three lives. However, for the first 30 seconds of play, you have unlimited lives. It's kind of like oh. the way Spy Hunter starts.
0: Okay, that explains a lot, because I kept thinking, did someone push the credits button a lot or something? I I, I couldn't tell, because I was like, wait, I could have sworn, hmm. So the first game I played, you know, I I died pretty early. Second game I played, I suddenly realized, wait a minute, why am I not getting all these lives again? (laughs) So so that's why.
1: Yeah, yeah, so you you get get a free 30 seconds on the house in the game. So that's kind of cool. I don't know if the game's hard enough that it needs that, but it's nice to have. Now, if you go into a points crater while carrying a hostage, it supposedly doubles your hostage bonus at the end of the round. But I have never been have not been able to confirm or deny that. It's a cold day in hell when I have enough hostages to even get that bonus. Yeah. So I finally uh, got some hostages. Insert. Yeah, once so. I was able to rescue both hostages on the first level. Once I've been able to, I can do that quite frequently. It's the second screen that really that uh, really gets me. But um, you have there are two different kinds of enemies in the game. Uh, the first enemy are tanks. They're the same shape as yours, but uh, they're a different color. They're like, uh, I don't know, they're pink or red. I think it depends on the level. The, the color of the background uh, changes as well, depending on the level you're on. And um, But they look exactly like your tank, so it's kind of easy to pick out which is yours because your tank pretty much stays in the middle of the playfield at all times. So you got that going for you. And starting on, I think it's level three, there's another enemy that comes about. It's a, it's a UFO, but he's carrying a gate. And he will drop the gate on top of a crater. And so you have to destroy the, the gate and the, uh, and the UFO before you can go into that crater, which is, uh, which is interesting. Now, I was looking on um, the cutting room floor websites, and there's actually a third enemy that's not used in the game. It's, a, it's a, an electrified wall graphic. It's in the uh-huh. code. But that's not... An enemy is not in the game for whatever reason. But right. Question for you. Um, when that thing
0: comes down and covers a crater, is there any way to get it removed other than uh, losing a life? Uh,
1: I think you can shoot it. I know you can ram into it with your shields on. Oh, okay. I, didn't, I don't think I tried that. You can definitely do that. But um, I think you can shoot it, but I think it just takes a lot of hits. Or maybe you have to go into another crater and come out of that particular crater. Um, I think that's all randomized, though. I think the game is different from game to game with the exception of the first level. I'm not 100% certain on that. Anyway, any yeah, rate, you do get the default settings for extra lives are at 15,000, 50,000, and 100,000 points. There are no home ports of this game. However, there is an unrelated game called Crater Raider that was released on the VIC-20 in 1983, a full year before. Um, I was looking at some video of it. It kind of plays like a Moon Patrol Sort of thing where you can't fire. Maybe it's more like uh, ColecoVision Smurf Rescue now that I think about it. But it's it looks kind of lame. And uh, only other real thing, there's really not a whole ton of information about this game online, unfortunately. But uh, I did notice something interesting uh, in the in the operations manual of this. Uh, as common with some other uh, Midway games, the internal documents refer to each level as a rack instead of a, a level or yeah. a screen or whatever. Nice yeah, that's rat. rather
0: identified in the Pac-Man games
1: too. Yeah, so that's pretty much everything about the game. Yeah, that's that's pretty much everything about the game. Um, graphically speaking, uh, I like the game. It's uh, it's kind of got the same look as tr- look and feel as like Tron and Two Tigers and that. I think it's all based on the same hardware. Uh, it's got the great explosions from uh, uh, like from Tron in those games. I'll tell you that much. Midway games have always had, like, the most awesome explosions, <laughs> in, my, uh, in my opinion. The most awesome-sounding ones. The game is challenging. Uh, as I said, getting the front and back of your tank confused is kind of a hazard with the game. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this game. I've always kind of liked this one. It's not one that I've always really gone back to but uh, all the time, but I've been going back to it a lot more lately. Uh, the one problem I have with this game, though, is it's since it has a, a dial on it, it again, it's kind of hard to do in emulation, but it's, oh, yeah. it's even harder than Tron because with Tron, you can, you know, you just rotate the arm and you move with, the, with like, shoulder buttons. You could set your controller up for that. But with this one, since you're rotating the tank and you're driving, that makes control a lot harder. I mean, I've been able to, to work with it. I've actually done one where I've actually just did the left and the right all the controls into the D-pad, and it kind of works, but it's a lot harder to control that way. Yeah, I imagine uh, it's kind of like imagine controlling uh, a spaceship and on asteroids on the Atari seventy eight hundred or twenty six hundred. That's kind of the feel you would have by mapping the controls to uh, your directional pad or joystick on a mm. on a controller on your PC. If it was a game where you could just stay in the middle, it wouldn't be too bad. But you got to keep constantly sure. moving because those. Uh, those enemy tanks uh, can be pretty accurate with their fire. I've found out, and oh, yeah. um, you got to keep constantly firing in this game if you want to survive. Just, just keep shooting. Just, just shoot all the time. Always have your yeah, finger it, on that trigger. It's unlimited too, right? Yeah, it is unlimited, and I believe it's rapid fire. Also, you just hold the trigger, and it'll just keep yes. firing. Yes,
0: which yes, is that's true. which
1: you definitely need in this game. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. That's that's crater raider. Um, Sean, do you have high scores for this game?
0: Oh, yes, I do. Uh, Let me see. Uh, I don't have any from Twin Galaxies, actually, because they don't track the original arcade game for some reason, I guess. Uh, But they do have a MAME track on Twin Galaxies, and that score belongs to Ryan Sullivan. 37,700, verified December 2nd, 2008. Now, that is a low score. That's a pretty low score. But again, it might have to do with how it's just a freaking difficult game to emulate. Which just makes me think, I mean, not even for emulation, but it's really surprising. But it's really surprising that modern video game controllers don't have some kind of disc on it. Like, I have a, a PS4 controller in my hand right now, you know, two thumbsticks, a D-pad, four fire buttons on the front, there are four shoulder buttons, and there's a button on the fr-
1: but there's nothing that rotates. In the mid-90s, and I may have talked about this before, but there was a, a PC joystick called the Wingman Warrior. Which was made for games like Duke Nukem 3D and Doom or whatever. It had a flight stick with a little hat button and several buttons, and it had a dial. And that's when emulation was just starting. And I was play. Yeah. I, I bought that specifically to emulate Tron, and it worked like a peach. But they don't make anything like that anymore. In fact, I was actually, I haven't actually looked on eBay. Uh, lately to see what if anyone has those. But it's got the, the old game port adapter on the end of it, not a USB. I'm kind of curious what these are going for, if anyone has them on here.
0: Oh, you know what I want to do right now? You're not allowed to do this in radio, but in podcasting, all bets are off. I want to do a point-to-point communication right now. Okay. Hey, Ed Kelly, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, please get working on a stick that can be used to emulate Discs of Tron. There you go then that'll work on this
1: too. Well, I only see one Wingman Logitech Wingman Warrior on here. And uh it looks like actually I see two of them. One of them is $85 plus 11 shipping, and the other one is 37.56 with $45.97 shipping, but that's from Canada. Huh. huh. But uh oh, I really want one of these again, man. This was such a great controller, but I don't think I'd have anything that could play it though. I'd have to probably get an adapter, so Ah. which kind of sucks because this was a great controller for this. It's, hmm. Like I said, I specifically got it for Tron and games like this. And and uh, another game that would be really hard to emulate would be Mad Planets because it's a similar thing where you got the, oh, the really? joystick with the trigger and a dial.
0: Yeah, I only played that game once and I don't really
1: remember the controls. So, yeah, there you go.
0: Oh, by the way, the arcade.com record, yes. A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, that's held by Ryan Suhaida, I think it's pronounced. He scored 112,250... On October 5th, 2018, which I believe is the day that Ferg and I recorded that Music for Schnook segments for Chapter 5 of Autobiography of a Schnook. And if you're not listening to that, shame on you. Very shame. Uh, But that was at Galloping Ghost, of course. Which is one of the very few locations listed on Orcade.com as having this game. I've never heard of it until you suggested we cover it for the episode. Really? Yeah. I never heard of it. And it's a shame because, well, obviously i never played it before, so I tried it out in emulation, even though I don't advocate that because I don't own the machine. Oh, of course. Because, you know, copyright infringement is so d- dastardly wrong. Um, yeah,
1: you hear that, EU? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah you hear that? Uh, so obviously in emulation, it was a pain in the ass. And, and not only that, but I was, I was using my laptop. I wasn't using a controller, so I was using the keyboard and the trackpad and man using the trackpad to spin the tank around this i could not get a steady anything at all i was going to galloping ghost on sunday prepared to hate the game i loved it oh my goodness i had such a good time playing it i really 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 did hey i got a question for you yeah when did you first play this? when
1: and where did you first play this back in the 80s at uh, putt putt golf and games on essington road joliet illinois Okay, how tall were you at the time? Uh, I was about the same height I am now, about six
0: four. Okay, yeah, you're a pretty you're pretty freaking tall. I'm six two. I had to hunch over a little bit yeah. to play the game.
1: I can't I, you if you played this game. Uh, whenever I'm playing an arcade game, and uh, I, I actually had to start doing this back then, and when I got out of my growth spurt, whenever I'm playing an arcade game, I felt hunched over it was just killing my back. So what I did is I just took a wire stance, and that just brought me down a couple of inches. Uh, and that would make it more comfortable to play. I can't do that all the time, obviously, especially at a place like Galloping Ghost. But if yeah. I can do it, I'm doing that because I just, that just helps me play and it, and it helps uh, relieve uh, back pain. Most uh, Midway and
0: Bally and Namco games, it's not an issue because of the way the the monitor's angled. In fact, when I first approached the game and I saw because the cabinet's still kind of the same shape as most Midway, Bally, Namco mm-hmm. cabinets. So I looked down and I saw just total blackness. I was like, oh crap, the machine's off. Nope. You got to look at it just right. Yeah. But yeah, it's like the monitor is 100% parallel to the floor. Mm-hmm. And that makes it kind of hard to play if you're tall. Yeah. Uh, at my height, I'm about 6'2". I found that if I kind of rest my head against the uh, marquee, that helped. I've had to do that on some on, on games, too. Oh, by the way, um, anybody who's going to Galloping Ghost and listening to this, uh, uh, you might want to wipe the marquee down before you rest <laughs> your head on it because I forgot to wipe it down myself with a little like antibacterial goop. Uh, hand sanitizer. Use yeah. it. But that's what it was called. See, I can't think of today. Was, I was so burned out today after work that I can't think of words. Like I said to my wife, hey, is this your stuff in the um, um, uh, the reverse refrigerator?
1: Reverse refrigerator.
0: <laughs> I couldn't think of microwaves. So I, I had to think. I was like, what the hell is this
1: thing? The reverse refrigerator. There you go. So, yeah, I, graphically, like I was saying, it's a great game. Uh, sound, I think the sound's adequate for what it does. And Stereo it does. sound, by the way. Yes, and like I said, the explosions kick ass. I think I'm going to rate this game. I'm giving, yeah. I have it right here in my notes a four, but I'm really leaning
0: toward a five. Oh, huh. well, I'm then I'll give it a four, because that's what I originally wanted to give it. Okay, well, I'll give it a four. There is something that you left out from... Oh. The cutting room floor is that there are hidden credits in the game.
1: Yeah, there are hidden credits but in the game, no, and there's I don't th- know
0: if there's an easy way to access them. Though,
1: no, you got to... and then there's also a in a longer thirty second uh, version of the theme music for the game as well in the ah. in the ROM, and you can get to that by editing the uh, the main cheats file, but or you can just go to the cutting room floor tcrf dot org net, it, .net Link in into, the show notes. Link in the show notes. Go to the Raider page, and you can play it from there. But uh, yeah, oh, excellent game. I, I really do like this one. It's just pure shooting action. Yeah. and um, It's fair shooting
0: action, too. Yeah. Just yeah. as long as you're not emulating it. If you emulate it, you're going to have a hard time.
1: And as long as you don't forget which side of your tank is the front. I think that's one yep. issue that's really preventing this from actually getting a higher grade. Oh, excellent point. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, my first time playing this was February 10th, 2019 at Galvin Ghost Arcade. Oh, wow.
1: That was just a couple days ago. That was just a couple days ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I really... Yeah, Ed, Ed Laddin, come on. Come on, dude. <laughs> get, get, get with a controller with a rotary. I'm wondering if you could hack one of the um, ColecoVision Super Action Controllers. Oh. Hmm. Why don't you look into that? Because I'm not very competent. That's why. Just mm. take one and plug it into an adapter and... No, but I'm saying to hack it apart to make a dial because Ugh. I've got one and I know it works with my... Oh, okay. Uh, you mean actually adapter. alter the control? Yeah, but uh, thinking of, but the way it works, you'd have to constantly have your hand on the dial and then one hand on the joystick and whatever. I don't think it would work well. You would almost... Hmm. The way it's set up, you would need a third hand. But if you could find a way to put a trigger on the joystick, that would be a difference on the actual joystick itself instead of on the grip, you know, with the way that these are set up. You basically need a flight stick with two buttons and a dial to play this. There's got to be a way to make one of those. Yeah, there's got to be. But hey, Hmm. I'm a software
0: guy, not a hardware guy, so
1: it ain't going to be me. I'm a lazy guy, so it ain't going to be me either.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got too many hobbies as it is, so... Well, i I think that's it. Yeah, that is. Yeah. good lord! With a short episode, we had a lot to say
1: too. Yeah, so wow. I don't know. Probably should reveal the theme. Oh yeah, the theme. Yeah, these are games trust me we had a hard time figuring this we just picked these <laughs> games because we just wanted we've wanted to talk about these yeah, for a we while we usually
0: we usually come up with a theme first and then pick the games at this time it's like oh, let's try the other way around see what they
1: t- usually the, the themes are obvious usually they're not yeah uh sometimes they're not but this one we just had no clue we just like oh let's just see where it brings yeah, the us.
0: only thing we could think of was that i made special trips to play each of these games which but is true, you did. Just,
1: which is true, yeah. And then I, I did. Thought, kind of. Then it's like I had the Hunk's Hunk Pancake House thing. And Then I had the thought: games that really have nothing in common. But then <laughs> I did. It heard it occurred to me just today, the day we're recording, that you know what? In Crater Raider, you're descending into a crater, in Cubert's cubes. When you have the uh, cube set to the correct color, the one enemy will go into the cube. So hey, these are games in which characters uh, descend into the playfield. Or into, well, they descend into objects in the Into play objects field. into the play field. So uh, yeah, you know, hey. Look at us. Look at us. Although oh. I guess the one in Cubert's cubes technically melts into it, but I'm sticking with it. Well, yeah, he still he still Close descends. Enough. That's true. Basically basically reverse food fight chef,
0: you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm reversing Jimmy. a lot of things tonight, aren't I? Oh yeah. Anyway, Jimmy G, I'm so sorry to have to interrupt. I just nah, you're good. you know what I mean?
1: Are good. Ah. So I guess at this point we should uh, thank some people, shall we? Oh, sure, sure. Do you want to do it or should I do it? You do it because you have the list in
0: front of you. Oh, all right. All right. And the following people we are thanking because they have awesomely contributed to us financially, helped us uh, offset costs involved with this podcast including uh, website domain registration at pie factory podcast.com uh, equipment upgrades. Both Jim and I have upgraded our equipment a few times over the course of this podcast to make it sound a little bit better and uh, offsetting our costs for Midwest gaming classic uh, at which we will be again this year at the uh, Wisconsin center, downtown Milwaukee. And uh, so thank you to the following people who've really helped us offset these costs. Uh, new balance stores, Phoenix, Nate Lockhart. Ooh, I hope we get to see him again. Uh, uh, hopefully this year I'll recognize him. I didn't recognize him last year. I think because he I think cause he changed his hair or something, where he got a haircut. I felt so stupid. Uh, Art Guglielmo, thanks so much. Uh, Michael D'Angelo, hope to meet you sometime when I'm out in Jersey. Uh, Rory Charles Coleman. How, how have I not met Rory yet? Good. I Lord. don't know. Steve Steiner, thank you. Richard Valdez, thank you. D. Alex, somebody who's at the arcades all the time, yet I've never actually crossed paths with him. Thank you. Thank you there, D. Uh, Tari Bites, who also is going to be at Midwest Gaming Classic, by the way. Uh, Soul Blazer Greg Polander, thank you so much. Mahalo to Jonas Rulo. Kyle Etter, oh, man, we finally got to meet him at Midwest Gaming Classic last year. Mm-hmm. PJ Steele has been awesome, of course, too. Tim Foley, uh, fellow Joliet person, underground retrocade where i am planning to go this coming sunday uh keith sheehan whom i might see at underground retrocade this coming sunday and richard grounds especially for the shoe advice and for the count of the number of days that this page has gone without a certain kind of post depending on what facebook group it is (laughs) valuable service thank you richard and i think that's everybody i think you're right and if you wish to be added to that list, hey, listen to our booth announcer at the end of the episode. Yay. And you'll find out how.
1: So, our
0: email address, by the way, pyfactory at fab4it.com or pyfactorypodcast at fab4it.com. I'm going to look into just getting pyfactorypodcast.com uh, emails just to simplify it. But There hello. you go. That sounds like a
1: good idea. Yeah. So, I think now we should probably just reveal the games for the next episode. Yes, why don't you please do that? Because yeah. I suddenly forgot. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Boulder Dash. Yes, Boulder Dash was oh. an arcade game. And Pigskin 621. Ooh. Pigskin Ooh, I like 621. It. And that will be in our next episode in a couple of weeks. And there you are. There I am. And there you go. Or something. Yes. So, so, once again, Pie Factory Podcast, Marcela Illinois, Jimmy G.
0: And Pie Factory Podcast, Pie Factory Headquarters North in Chicago, Sean. Just Sean. Yes, Sean.
1: And I already said we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, so I won't say it again. Hmm. Yeah. Time clock. Time clock. Ooh, awesome. Bye. This episode of the Pie Factory Podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Errata was composed by Jim Gobel. Follow the Pie Factory Podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Podcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash pie factory podcast.
0: Oh, you know what something that I did want to mention? I actually wanted to mention this last week, but I told you before how. Last year, I would sign off using oxymorons, and this year, I'm signing off using redundancies. Yes. One thing I just want to say, I something that I learned about 12 years ago was that last and final is not necessarily a redundancy. And I'll tell you that story right now. Okay. When I moved back here, I actually spent a few months living with my parents before I moved into the, the apartment that my wife and I are in. Mm-hmm. So I would commute... On a Metro train from Joliet to Chicago every day. And I remember one day on the way back to Joliet, the conductor made an announcement. He said, Joliet, last and final stop. And then I said to him, So it's last and final? So there's ever a time when it's last but not final? And he said, Well, yeah, actually, there is a time. He said, last stop because it's the end of the line but Ah. final stop because the train is no longer going to be in use after that we're going to put it in the the rail yard for the Uh night so he said if the train were still going to be in service for the day we just say last stop but since we're retiring it for the day it's the last and final stop so I was like oh okay so yeah you will not hear me sign off with the phrase last and final there we go hmm there were two different versions of the Cubert's cubes cabinet that went out one version with a vertically oriented monitor and another with a horizontally oriented monitor. Oh, wow. Which yeah, yeah I never, I never knew that. And didn't realize
1: they think... had two different orientated monitors. Yeah. And I hate that what, word. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse Whoa, me. Whoa. Hate that word too. You hate it bigly? Uh, yeah. Especially when it's embiggened. Well, only when it's cromulent though. True. Sure.